are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with John Corrales from Locked On Celtics as it was a battle of MVP candidates out east between Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics, as well as Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. How did the Celtics come out on top against the Bucks on Christmas Day? Jason Tatum with a huge 20-point third quarter in the Celtics win, plus how has Rob Williams looked since coming back from his injury? Then we chat with Cyrus Satsas from Locked On Warriors of the Warriors spoiling Christmas for the Memphis Grizzlies in their first ever Christmas Day game in franchise history. No Steph Curry, no Andrew Wiggins for the dubs, and they were still able to come away victorious. How do the Warriors start getting some of their home success to translate to road success this season? Then lastly... As the host of Locked on Rockets, I'll be discussing the Woj bomb we were delivered on Christmas Day with the report that James Harden is seriously considering a return to the Houston Rockets if he does not re-up with a new contract with the Philadelphia 76ers this upcoming offseason. Why would James Harden want to leave Philadelphia and would James Harden coming back to Houston be the right move for the Rockets organization? We'll talk about the pros and cons of that, but first, as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Locked on NBA, your first listen each and every day. We are free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is John Corrales, the host of Locked on Celtics. You can find anywhere you listen to your podcast, just search Locked on Celtics, including YouTube. Now, John, this was a, a big Christmas Day win for the Celtics against the Milwaukee Bucks, the two teams at the top of the Eastern Conference. This game, John, was... One point deficit at a halftime, 62-61. And then things just completely changed there. It really in the third quarter, but just kind of the second half at large. Jason Tatum taking over 20 points in the third quarter. Just 7 of 10 shooting. He was sensational in that third quarter. What changed for Tatum and for the Celtics in that third quarter? I think they were just taking advantage of some of the the matchups that they had. I don't think there was anything that necessarily changed other than, you know, Tatum, Tatum saw... Hey, I've got I've got these lanes to the to the rim. I can get to the rim. I can get to the free throw line. Uh, he started being a little a little more aggressive, but also I don't think anybody was forcing things. And I think that's one of my biggest takeaways here is that in this slump, I think guys like Tatum and Brown, especially, forced a lot. And Tatum, he's trying to win an MVP. And I think if he gets in his head a little too much of the, the MVP race, then he tries to do too much. If he, he gets into his head, um, the uh, getting to the basket, if he gets into his head, uh, playing the right way, making the right play, and letting the game come to him, then then things like a 20-point third quarter happen. Because in the first, the first half, it wasn't about him scoring. It was about other guys. It was about Al Horford. It was about just kind of keeping pace. But in the third quarter, because of all the other shots that were falling, suddenly more lanes open to the rim and he was able to take advantage of them. 
Yeah, this is a, what Celtics team coming off a couple, you know, bad losses against the Orlando Magic Pacers. You know, this win, especially against a rival like the the Bucks. You know, potential a potential playoff preview, if you will, between these two teams, uh, probably goes a long way towards cementing in some some continuity. Like, hey, we're you know we're getting back on the horse here. Mm-hmm. But especially, look, you look at the defense they played on Giannis in this game, John. I mean, Giannis just nine of twenty two shooting from the floor, only two of eight inside the arc, or sorry, I should say inside the paint. I apologize, which is really uncommon for him just what were you seeing that the Celtics were able to do to kind of slow him down in this game the Celtics are I think are uniquely built to deal with Giannis they have Al Horford who has historically been really good in dealing with Giannis uh Grant Williams there was one play early on I could kind of see what was happening where he went to back down Grant and and he didn't move and that's the thing Grant Williams he he's he's strong. He's got a good low center of gravity. He can get low, and when Giannis Giannis hit a turnaround fadeaway jump shot on Grant Williams, and I remember tweeting out, "The Celtics will live with that shot if it means not being able to get to the rim," and and that's what happened with with Grant with Blake. We saw some Blake Griffin minutes. Blake, strong guy, good base, does not let Giannis get to the rim. All of that when they got back, they got. And it also, I should note that it starts with the shots falling a lot as well because the Celtics shot uh, 50, what's the number, 59%, 49% from three. So that allows them to get back and set their defense versus Giannis getting the ball in transition. And once the Celtics defense is set with Al and Grant and Blake for a short stretch and those guys, even Marcus Smart, those guys can really get low and prevent Giannis from getting where he wants to go. And we saw him very willingly settle for jumpers. And once we saw him settling for jumpers, I said, yeah, he, th- this is going to be a good defensive game for the Celtics. How much, John, do you do you take away from a game like this? How much or how little, I should say, do you take away from a game like this that could be kind of a, a, a potential preview of like a semifinals rematch or a, a conference finals preview? I mean, it, I think it kind of works both ways, Jackson. It's it, You take away a lot in that the Celtics do have personnel that can frustrate Giannis and that's there aren't many teams that can do that and I should say I had a funny exchange with with Joe Mazzula after the game where I said you know you guys limited Giannis he says yeah limited he had 27 points but <laughs> we we're just talking about how the Celtics limited him and he still had 27 points it's kind of an extension of the the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs where they did limit him and frustrate him and he had an otherworldly performance. So that's the type of player that he is. But the Celtics can take away from this a very strong feeling that we can force Giannis to play the type of game where if he's going to get the 27, it's going to take a lot of hard work. He's going to be very tired at the end, and he's not going to involve a lot of teammates. But also at the other side, you know, it is as as much as a Christmas Day is a marquee game, it's still, you know, the Celtics have 27 wins, which is great, but it's still early and you got to get yourself up to 57 wins to win the East, 60 wins to win the East. So there's a lot to go. So in that respect, you say, Hey, this is a good building block. It's a good reminder that when you play your best and the Celtics haven't been playing their best, but when you play your best, you can be the best team in the NBA and you can beat the other best team in the NBA and just keep building on it. It's a reinforcement of good habits. The Celtics displayed a lot of good habits where in the past couple of weeks they've displayed bad habits. You can take away from that, but you also don't want to get too high because when the Celtics do get too high, that's when the bad habits come back. 
Rob Williams has, you know, been back for a few games now coming off the bench. It just, you know, how has he looked since, since returning? And is there maybe a decision to be made here further down the, the down the line, John? Like, you know, given how well the Celtics have looked with Derek White kind of being that fifth starter alongside the other guys. I mean, is does Joe Missoula have kind of a hard decision down the line as to who becomes that that fifth starter for the Celtics? I don't think it's that hard of a decision. I think Rob's going to ultimately be in line for that. Uh, I don't think that, well, well, I, I think getting back to double big is going to be probably a, a good move defensively, uh, especially if like Al Horford can, can get back to like the shooting that he's displayed in the last two games. He had a, a little bit of a rough stretch, just like the rest of the team, but five of 10 in the last game from three, three of six in this game from three. So if Al Horford can be a spacer uh, and we saw how much he had to be respected in this game. Uh, and that opened up some driving lanes for the Celtics. If that can be the case, then you can stick Robert Williams in the dunker spot and feel like, okay, that's it's not going to mess with your spacing because if anybody wants to come over, then you just got lobs to Robert Williams. So I think him back in the starting lineup is going to be an eventuality with Derek White coming off the bench. And, and that's fine too because you can start second quarters with Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White and Jason Tatum and, and Robert Williams or Al Horford and you basically got a starting lineup as your bench unit. So that's going to be uh, a, a pretty nice development for the Celtics moving forward. Rob still is up and down, though. He's uh, he he's good on, you know, on the help defensive side. He's he's obviously he can catch lobs, he, but he's also struggling a little bit to catch up. Joe Missoula is a different, you know, has some different terminology, some different uh, sets, some different defensive kind of uh, philosophies and. And those things are going to take a little bit of time. So this is a little bit of a preseason type of feel for Robert Williams. But he's he's showing flashes. And I think once he's up to speed, a move to the, the, the starting lineup makes sense. The Boston Celtics handed Giannis and Tudukumpo and the Bucks a lump of coal for Christmas. Can they continue to build on these good habits? When will Rob Williams be back in the starting lineup for Boston? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Celtics. John, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. You got it, man. Coming up, the Golden State Warriors got the Christmas Day dub against the Memphis Grizzlies with no Steph Curry, no Andrew Wiggins. How were they able to come out on top in this game, and how can they start translating some of their home success to the road where they have struggled mightily this season? We're going to talk about that, but first, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this season. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball NFL they've got you covered for everything over at bet online it's always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info right now you can navigate over to bet online to learn more about who the odds on favorites are to win the NBA title this season the Boston Celtics leading the pack at plus 350 the Milwaukee Bucks right behind them at plus 550 then you've got the Brooklyn Nets at plus a thousand in fourth place the Golden State Warriors at plus 1100 and then rounding out the top five the LA Clippers also at plus 1100 so for all those odds and more, be sure to visit betonline.net to learn more about the trends and action available to you. Bet online. It's where the game starts. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports today available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Warrior Cyrus Sots, as you can find wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. Just search Locked On Warriors. Cyrus, a statement win by the Golden State Warriors on Christmas Day. Look, yeah. no, no Steph Curry, no Andrew Wiggins, no Jermichael Green. You had Jordan Poole leading the way with 32 points, Clay Thompson adding 24. Just how big was this win for this Warriors team missing, you know, arguably, I guess their two best players in in Curry? and Wiggins. It was huge. I love how you threw in Jermichael Green. Like, that's some huge impact. Um, hey, they don't, they don't, he wasn't there, right? I'm going to give him his credit. There. He was also on the injury report. Like, come he on, was man. Um, But no, I'm, I'm all kidding aside. No, this was huge. And and you and I were talking. First of all, Merry Christmas for those watching. If it airs with Christmas Day, where that's when we're recording. Um, I, I, this was, look, the Warriors, you and I were talking about this. The Warriors have had two games on the schedule this year that to them, were statement games, right? Games that actually they woke up for and they really cared about. Earlier, about a month or so ago, they played the Celtics at home, took care of business. And then this game, the Grizzlies were talking smack since last year's Western Conference semifinals, or as Mike Greenberg loved to say repeatedly tonight, the Western Conference finals. I don't know if you heard that, by the way. At least three times he kept saying Western Conference finals rematch. <laughs> no one corrected him. I guess the, the, the I guess the Dallas Mavericks fans might take maybe, maybe it's because it, maybe it's because it felt it felt like the real Western Conference Finals. So like maybe it, there yes, you go. But it was not. But I digress. The point is, it was a huge game uh, for the Warriors, and especially when you consider that they were missing. Like you're right. I mean, I think it's it's safe to say Andrew Wiggins is their second best player, um, and both of them were out, and the Warriors still handily took care of business. This was not really close. It was from the from the moment. Uh, the ball was tipped. I mean, Clay Thompson was actually engaged. I haven't seen him care about a basketball game in a month. Um, Draymond Green, it was all about the number 13 for him. 13 rebounds, 13 assists. He was plus 13 in the plus minus. And then the bench, the lottery picks, the two-way play. Everyone stepped up. It was a crazy game, and the Warriors are still relevant. So that's good news for Dub Nation. And, and just over the course of this game, the, the Warriors kind of, you know, they were they were comfortably kind of leading this thing. It felt like they were, you know, at any point, you know, 10-ish point lead or so. But then the the Grizzlies kind of started to cut into things there in, in the third quarter where you started to wake up and you're like, okay, like they're making this a game. It got down to a one-possession game. And then the Warriors went on this huge run to, to create all this separation. It was kind of sparked by, by Ty Jerome off the bench. How impressive was his performance and just how important was his production there in the third quarter kind of give the Warriors that cushion so they could kind of, you know, coast to the finish line? Yeah, it was huge. He he had easily his best game as a, as a, as a member of the Warriors um, I've become synonymous with being critical of, of Ty Jerome. And honestly, like this was a great game for him. I, I, I've not seen any games all season that really impressed me. He looked good. He looked confident. He didn't hesitate on his shot. He was making his shots. He was getting his teammates involved. But what made me the most happiest, and, and this was really my lone Ty Jerome gripe this season, is that Steve Kerr decided he's going to play him while not sacrificing minutes uh, for the three lottery picks. And I'm, I'm referencing Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, because that's been the point of contention this year, is that Kerr keeps trying to win each individual regular season game with these two-way players. Not only are they oftentimes not winning these games, but he's also sacrificing important reps that these young second-year and third-year players uh, really need for growth. But tonight... The thing that stuck out to me when Ty Jerome was out there doing this, and Ty Jerome led the Warriors, and I'm guessing led the whole game in, in plus minus tonight with plus 23, is that he was doing it a lot of the time with those three players on the court with him. 
Um, and Wiseman tonight statistically didn't do much, but he still finished plus eight in the plus minus, and he grabbed five rebounds. Hey, that's, man, that, the, Wiseman, Wiseman hit those two free throws, and he kind of looked like Clay Thompson when he shoot the, shot those two free throws, which was pretty pretty incredible when you think about it. So yeah, That was weird. <laughs> the whole officiating, we could have a whole other show about that tonight. But, yeah, Wiseman, Wiseman did what the Warriors need the most from him, which is playing defense and rebounding. I mean, the Warriors always look small, and when he's out there, they don't look small. They actually look comparable to other teams who have a natural center. And then and, and Moody was hitting some huge threes as well. But no, Ty Jerome had a great game. Um, and that's what that's one of the big questions, uh, you know, we, we've been covering on Locked On Warriors is Steve Kerr has been reliant so much on these two-way players uh, in terms of Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb, but they're only eligible for 50 games in the regular season. And that number's coming up soon. And and Self and Kylan Mills, who I co-host with, and, and everyone else, we're very curious to know what the Warriors are, are going to do when this 50-game mark hits because you either have to offer one of them a guaranteed deal, um, which the Warriors seem not willing to do. Right, They have 14 of their 15 roster spots filled. They've left that 15th roster spot open. Uh, they've never said it directly, but all implications are it's for financial reasons. Um, so you're only going to be able to sign one of them. If, let's say, Steve Kerr falls so much in love with one of these two players that that he persuades the front office to give them a, a guaranteed deal. You can only do it for one of them. Um, and very curious to see what happens there. Uh, but regardless, yeah, man, Ty Jerome had a fantastic game tonight. Jordan Poole and the pool party was raging, dude. I mean, he got, he got ejected the beginning of the fourth quarter and still led the team in scoring with 32. So great game. The Warriors. It was a it, it was a very chippy affair between these two teams. You could tell that there's there's history there. They, these two oh, teams yeah. they they kind of get up. They do enjoy playing against one another. Uh, Warriors just getting the better of the Grizzlies this go around. I, Cyrus, I don't know the last time we saw a team so utterly dominant at home, but then struggle so much on the road. Warriors are now they've improved to thirteen and two at home, just three and sixteen on the road. What I guess. You know, what maybe needs to happen for the Warriors to start being able to translate some of their home success to the road? Well, that, and Mike Breen during the call tonight said that if this trend continued for the rest of the season, the Warriors would uh, would have the biggest discrepancy in NBA history um, in terms of a home record versus a road record. Because I believe if I, my math is correct, they own the best home record in the NBA at 13 and two, but then that road record at three and 16 is far and away the worst. The, the why of the discrepancy, I mean, part of it is the fact that the bench is, is filled with so many either young players or inexperienced players and, and players like that thrive off a home crowd. And I, you know, I, you've heard, people have heard endlessly by now, I'm guessing that, the Warriors' home crowd, whether it's Chase Center or Oracle in Oakland before that, they've always been passionate fans, knowledgeable fans. They bring the noise, and the players feed off that. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, <laughs> it is weird, man. I, and, and, you know, we were talking off the air, and I tweeted this as well, that I, the vibe I'm getting from the Warriors this season is, uh, is a very old-school movie reference. Uh, the movie Wayne's World it was a skit on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and in the the first Wayne's World movie, Wayne is driving in his car with his girlfriend or, you know, or, or soon to be girlfriend. And he's talking about how when he was younger, he had mono and he didn't know he had mono. He thought he was bored or no, he thought he had mono. And it turns out he was bored for a year. And the Warriors remind me of that. This is a team that, that I feel like so many of them are like I haven't seen Clay Thompson wake up. He looks asleep on the court. He, he looks like a dead man walking like. 
like Bernie from from Weekend at Bernie's, just playing out there. But tonight he was actually awake for once. I'm um, Cyrus. I'm cutting you off. No more pop culture references out right, of you okay. for the rest of the the, the segment. No, I'm Deal. kidding. I'm kidding. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, there was a lot of them. There was all from the 80s and early 90s. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the point is, is that this is a Warriors team that is very hard to gauge because of that discrepancy. At home, they look like the defending world champions. On the road, they look like the Orlando Magic. No disrespect to the Orlando Magic, although that is disrespectful. Uh, the why of that is is the theory is three three twenty two twenty year old players, a twenty one year old player, and the three lottery picks, two two way players who are getting heavy minutes, and they're thriving off that home crowd, but they have not put it together on the road. And also, it's it's important to note too that the Warriors have had two long road trips of the season. Like they had a five game road swing in the Southeast. Then they had this recent six-game uh, road trip, and I think combined they were one and uh, one and ten in those eleven games. And in both those stretches, they were dealing with injuries as well. Um, there was there was always some sort of like issues behind the scenes with the team and all these in these two road swings. And so maybe that three and sixteen road record is a little uh, worse than it. It's not quite representative of what the team really is, but it is bizarre, man. There's just no way to spin it. And the why of it is just guesses, you know, we'll see if they turn it around, but they, but the Warriors, this is the start of an eight game homestand tonight. So they got seven more games at home. They're home for, I think for another 18 or 19 days. Um, So for the Warriors, this is fantastic. This is the start of hopefully great things for them. What ultimately happens with the two-way roster contract situation moving forward with the Golden State Warriors? How can can they continue to find some success without Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins in the lineup? Can they maybe start picking up some wins on the road, or are they just going to keep this weird dichotomy of road versus home wins going over the rest of the season? Of course, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On. Warriors, Cyrus, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime you ask me, Jackson, I'm coming on, man. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Coming up, a Christmas Day Woj bomb as James Harden is reportedly seriously considering a return to the Houston Rockets if he does not come up with a new deal with the Philadelphia 76ers this upcoming offseason. What are the pros and cons to James Harden potentially coming back to the Houston Rockets? Why would he want to leave a good situation with the Philadelphia 76ers? We're going to talk about that, but first, today's episode is brought to you by NHTSA. Look, it can happen so easily, right? You're out with some friends or some coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks, a few beers, and a few becomes a few too many. It's time to get up and go. And for a second, you think maybe you'll call yourself a ride, right? No, you're, you're a good driver. You're a safe driver, right? You live nearby. You can make it home okay, right? What are the odds that you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license. You lose your job. Total your car. Maybe you kill someone. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's life forever. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen free and available on all podcast platforms. It's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app. Also on YouTube, just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe.
And now it's me, Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked on Rockets. You can find wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube just by searching Locked on Rockets. Here to discuss the Woj Bomb bombshell news that was dropped in us on Christmas Day. It was a big day for guys with beards who wear red, or I guess in this case used to wear red, as Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reporting that James Harden is seriously considering a return to the Houston. Houston Rockets in free agency later this July if he decides against a new deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, there are a few different things to kind of take away from this news. One, why is it coming so early? Why is it here? It's We're not even two months into the season, and we're talking about free agency and whether this is like a leverage play or a legitimate leak or whatever. It, we are seven months out from free agency. This is ridiculously early. And even when James Harden was asked about it on Christmas Day ahead of the 76ers matchup with the New York Knicks, he, he didn't exactly refute the claim. He just got kind of flustered and was like, come on, you didn't even ask me. It's Christmas. You haven't even asked, you know, wish me Merry Christmas. You know, I'm not answering that. I didn't see anything. And it was basically, uh, he denied it without actually denying it. So not exactly uh, looking good on his behalf at this point. But let's look at it first from the lens of why would James Harden want to leave the 76ers is kind of the weird thing because it feels like the 76ers are almost like a perfect spot for him at this stage in his career, right? He has a tier one superstar that he's paired with in Joel Embiid, top two center in the entire NBA. He's got a budding young star in Tyrese Maxey. He's got role players around him that fit his game and Bede's game perfectly. He's got his favorite GM of all time running the show in Daryl Morey, ex ex-Rocket CEO Tad Brown also running the show in Philadelphia. Like, it feels like Philly is a match made in heaven for James Harden. So one thing about this report kind of makes me think that maybe this is just a leak for leverage ahead of his upcoming free agency this offseason to basically be like, hey, don't try and get cute about a contract extension or, or I should say a new contract or whatever because James Harden already sacrificed some money in his last contract with the 76ers so that they could bring in guys like P.J. Tucker, like Daniel House Jr., right? Go out and sign guys to help kind of bolster the 76ers roster. And this is a 76ers team that's really starting to find its footing this season. They're running, you know, they got eight straight wins, big Christmas Day win against the Knicks. You know, they are, when you look up and down the Eastern Conference, you know, clearly probably third or fourth best team out East, but maybe that's just not enough for James Harden. Uh, you know, it, it really is unclear at this point what the reasoning behind wanting to leave Philadelphia would be, but Woj wouldn't just put this out just because. So it's gotta be something that has a little bit of legs on it, that there is, you know, at least some serious talk that has made it back to him about James Harden, maybe wanting to come home to Houston. That's just what it would be. It would be, James Harden coming home in the two years since he's left the Houston Rockets. James Harden has consistently and time and time again talked about how Houston is and always will be home to him. He still has family that lives here. He's still very much connected to the city, still does a ton of philanthropic work, you know, during the offseason and throughout the season. You know, the NBA giving, you know, the NBA cares community, all of that working, you know, in tandem with uh, city officials to just make ever make people's lives better in the city of Houston. He claims and and loves this city like no other and there are still Rockets fans who desperately would desperately would love to see James Harden back in a Rockets jersey but ultimately would 
bringing James Harden back this upcoming summer be the right thing for this young Rockets team to do in its timeline of progressing and moving things forward? And unfortunately, it's not a simple answer. It's not a clear-cut absolutely yes or a clear-cut absolutely no. There's there's really solid arguments on both sides of the fence here. James Harden is by far a, I don't know, a top three playmaker, if not maybe the best playmaker in the NBA right now at this stage in his career, leading the NBA in assists per game. I mean, he just had a 21 assist game, his new career high a couple games ago. He is very clearly a dominant playmaking force, somebody that can set up you know, other guys, can make life easier for everybody else offensively because of his rare combination of skills where he can you know, score the ball himself. He's got the elite court vision playmaking, scoring at all three levels that, that pre- kind of prevents the defense from honing in on any one part of his game. And he just reads the opposing defenses so well. He would absolutely make life easier for guys like Jalen Green or Jabari Smith Jr. or Alperin Shingoon on this Rockets team. And having a point guard, having somebody kind of running the show who could do that would help the development of those guys, getting the ball to them in their spots where they can be successful, not missing guys when they're wide open, and really just kind of an overhauling of this Houston Rockets offense would just absolutely do wonders for everybody involved. That said, the flip side of the coin is, do you want to commit a max or a near max to an aging star who's going to be 34 years old going into this next season? I think Harden's going to be a star that should age gracefully because the shooting's not going anywhere, the playmaking's not going anywhere, you know, the explosiveness, the deceleration, the the first step, all of that, that will wane as he gets older, but the basketball IQ is not going to go anywhere. If anything, it'll just get better, you know, the longer he keeps playing. But at the same time, would you not be better set if you were to commit that money to a you know a player or a star or a talent that is a bit more alongside the the actual age range of your young players so that you could have a little bit more cohesion there or is this maybe a situation like with the Suns when they brought in and traded for Chris Paul and brought in Chris Paul to kind of help anchor and buoy that young talented core of theirs that went 8-0 in the bubble a few seasons ago I don't necessarily see James Harden in the Chris Paul leadership role for a young group of guys. James Harden isn't that vocal leader, that kind of heavy-handed leader that Chris Paul is and can be. He's more of a lead-by-example type guy. And at the same time, you want this young group of guys, you know, in Houston, these, you know, rookies and second-year players, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., you want them to be able to establish a culture, an identity. And this Rockets team doesn't have that yet. It very much felt like that Suns team was starting to establish a culture and identity under Monty Williams, and Chris Paul kind of helped elevate that when he got to Phoenix. Houston doesn't have that yet, unfortunately, under head coach Steven Silas or uh, under this current Rockets regime. And I don't know if necessarily bringing James Harden back a team that, you know, a player who this team and organization bent over backwards to cater everything to in the years that he was here before. If he comes back, I don't know if that's exactly the right thing you want from a culture perspective for these young guys, you know, setting the right examples, that kind of thing. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it might be something as far as the decision-making process and why he might want to ultimately leave Philadelphia. It might just be because he wants to come back to the comfortability and the control of what he had here with the Houston Rockets. I could be convinced if the Houston Rockets did walk away with 
Victor Wembanyama at the top of this year's NBA draft, then I could be convinced that signing James Harden and kind of catapulting themselves back into relevancy by doing so would be the right move. Uh, a starting lineup of James Harden, Jalen Green, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., and Victor Wembanyama sounds like a team that could uh, be poised to make a jump this upcoming season. The Rockets do not own their own draft capital moving forward as it belongs to the Oklahoma City Thunder from the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade all those years ago. So the Rockets have no incentive to continue bottoming out and being bad starting as early as next season. So is it time for James Harden to return home to the Houston Rockets? Would James Harden coming back to the Houston Rockets be the right thing for this organization? All of you covered for all of that and more right over at Locked on Rockets. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA Mondays. The biggest stories with the local experts. <laughs>